The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Building Banking on Values with your host, Linda Ryan. Banking today can depend on a variety of factors, including where you bank. It's time to put the power back into your pockets. It's time to change what you think you know about banking. Now, here is Linda Ryan. Welcome to the Building Banking on Value show. Folks, I'm Linda Ryan. I'm your radio show host, and this is a brand new show brought to you by the Voice America Business Channel. As Alanis Morissette would say, isn't it ironic? And I get it. I'm sure you can hear I have an Irish accent. So the fact that I'm Irish, I'm a talk show host, and we're telling stories is all about the gift of the gab. But what's ironic is that these stories are positive and they're about banking. If you had told me about five years ago that I would work in banking again, honestly, I would have laughed at you because that's how I started my career in offshore investments. And it was interesting, but I decided to move on to other things, things that I felt would have a greater impact in the world. And after the 2008 banking crisis, I'm sure it's something that we all know and some of us are still living, unfortunately, um, the Irish banking industry really wreaked havoc on our economy and on our people. It destroyed businesses, communities and lives in the process. So I really would have laughed at you if you had said to me, I'd now be doing a radio show all about banking. And if you told me I'd be saying positive things about banking, honestly, I would have thought you were mad. But here we are, and here I am, welcoming you to a show that shines a light on the positive side of banking. More specifically, it's called values-based banking. This show is about telling the stories of the people, the passion, and the potential of a growing global movement called values-based banking. Did you know that where you bank really matters? I'm sure, say, from an investment perspective or from a big money perspective, you get that. But at the end of the day, we're all bankers. If you have a credit card, if you have a loan, if you have a mortgage, if you have your money in a savings account, you are definitely a banker. But there's this new concept of banking that's growing, and it's called values-based banking. It's a viable alternative to the current banking system. So this show is all about telling you how you can join and share in this Banking on Values movement. In a way, just by listening to this show, you can be an armchair activist in a really positive way, and you can change the system. Now, I've used the term values-based banking, but I've heard it called different things. So let me tell you what it can be called. It can be called ethical banking, regenerative banking, sustainability-focused banking, community-focused banking, green banking. And as I said, values-based banking. Whatever it is you like to call it, this type of banking is different because it puts people before profit and it actually puts banking back in service of the communities, the organizations, and the savers like you and I that make this possible. Now, this approach is being practiced by a growing number of banks and banking cooperatives across the world. The banks are, are very different and they operate in very different markets and very different regions. They have diverse business models, 
completely different ranges of products and services, but one common banking model that commits to using all of their resources, their people, and their capital to create positive economic, social, and environmental impact. That's why this is different. So that's what building banking uh, on values is all about. That's the concept to a new growing global movement. And hey, you're a banker and you're a part of it. So this is our first show. That's more than enough about me. What I want to do is introduce you to our very first guest. And our very first guest, let me introduce him, is David Korsland, who's a strategic advisor in the banking sector. Now, David is very, very experienced, and he's spent a number of years um, providing advice and strategic roles in banking, actually, in fact, since 1976. Uh, And I was born in 77. So David is very, very experienced, and I'm delighted to have him on the show. He began his career at Shore Bank in Chicago while completing his MBA at the Booth School of the University of Chicago. And from 83 to 2009, he worked with ABN AMRO Bank in the United States and in the Netherlands. He's held senior positions. He's worked in areas for um, providing strategic direction for ABN AMRO's managing board. And since leaving that bank in 2009, he's focused on providing strategic advice on things like inclusive finance, uh, which focus more specifically on delivering what we call a triple bottom line. So a focus on people, planet, and prosperity. I'm delighted to say David will be joining us weekly and David's role on this show is to help translate what's going on in the news and the media surrounding banking, surrounding the finance industry, and also relating it back to this new movement of values-based banking. So, David, hopefully that was a good intro for you. Welcome to the show. Uh, hello, Whitlinda. Good to hear you and uh, good to be speaking. And uh, I hope I have some uh, insights uh, from, from the recent news. Uh, how would you like to start? Well, what's the latest news? You know, any news headlines this morning that have rocked your boat or made you think, okay, this is something I really want to tell people about and explain what's going on behind us? Yeah, I have to say I found it very very helpful that in the last couple of days there's been a series of articles that sort of brought themes together. And these are themes that I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily link. But as I as I was looking through the news, I said, actually, they're quite a bit linked to uh, why there needs to be a change in banking models. And they, they uh, are very different articles. One is about the growth of fintech. Uh, and that's a, a, re, a recent report issued by Citigroup about the growth of fintech and its impact. The, the second is about what's happening with the, the trading revenues of the largest banks in the world, which are down significantly. And the third relates to uh, a problem that came out last week at Credit Suisse where the CEO was not aware of a problem in the portfolio. And I think all of those linked together are showing why the historic business uh, models are not, are not working. So if we take the FinTech, the Citibank report that just came out and, and it got quite a bit of coverage, uh, sees FinTech taking quite a bit of the space in meeting individual financial needs uh, and other uh, and corporate uh, business financial needs as well. But it, could, it will likely lead to a loss of 2 million jobs in the banking sector. That's 30% of the current employment. So, so that's a real shift, uh, 30% loss of employment and also a real shift of business from the current incumbents, the, the large banks primarily, to, to, to new players. 
And then I looked at the, uh, the, the trading revenues. And in trading revenues, what you're seeing is that the global investment banks suffered a decline as high as 56% of their trading business. And that means that the historic revenues they've been making from trading income is really going, going the wrong way. And they've built large infrastructures for that. They pay people lots of salaries. They've got lots of back office uh, support, risk management support. But the revenues aren't there to support that. And I think that, that although uh, there's many potential causes for that, I suspect that part of that is that there's a shift uh, away from the financial economy into the real economy. And, and that, that could be a, a really fundamental shift. And if that uh, changes, then the, the infrastructure they've built won't continue. And then the last, that last news item I followed was, was the uh, discussion of the situation that happened at Credit Suisse, where the CEO was unaware of a uh, significant risk position, uh, which led to write-offs. And I think that gets to the issue of whether the largest banks in the world and what they do are really manageable. If the CEO is not aware of this, and he was actually quite angry in, in the press, press remarks that I was reading, uh, deservedly so if someone's hiding, hiding things that are, are, not, to, are not positive, um, that says there's, there's something wrong with the business model that makes banks so large that they can't be managed. And uh, without uh, coming mm -hmm. on the quality of management at Credit Suisse, the fact that that has happened at Credit Suisse, we've seen it in the past at other banks, would suggest also that size and complexity of banks is a real issue. I think all of this leads to what we've seen in, in the markets, uh, where we've seen significant declines in the value of banking stocks over the last six months. Uh, uh, I think the, uh, the, the stocks, uh, the financial stocks index was down an enormous, uh, I think it was 25, 30 uh, percent from, from earlier points. And what that says to me is that the market is also recognizing that new forms of banking are needed. And these need to be banks that focus on the real economy, not the financial economy, uh, focus on a scale that is manageable and controllable, and focus on uh, finding fintech solutions that meet the basic needs of people and can do it on an effective way. So I, I hope that sort of gives you a sense of what I saw in, saw in the press in the last, uh, last few days and, and why I think it, it is calling out for a change in banking models. Uh, banking models are focused on meeting human needs as opposed to just trying to focus on de delivering financial profits or apparent financial profits. That's great. Uh, David, so you've mentioned fintech, you've mentioned trading, you've mentioned risks and write-offs and potential big unemployment that could be coming in the banking sector. And you've also mentioned uh, things like the real economy. Can you explain to me a bit more about the real economy and, and how, how that is different to the financial economy and, and also how that, is, that impacts, say, the more traditional form of banking that we'd be aware of versus this kind of values-based or ethical type of banking that's, that's growing? Yeah, I think uh, when, when, when we at the uh, Global Alliance, and, and as I look at the real economy, what we tend to focus on is uh, how far removed is the financial instrument uh, that the bank creates and has on its balance sheet or on its off-balance sheet from, from actual goods and services. 
And uh, we really see that as if it's one step removed from the real economy, then it, it's really helping pr production in society. And, and, and so that's a, a critical concept. So if, if, for example, you make a loan to build a factory or to provide working capital for a company that's, that's in, a, in a services business, or if you uh, enter into a foreign exchange contract to reduce the risk of future cash flows in a currency that is not the currency of the, uh, the country where the, where the company is located, or if you interest, enter into an interest rate derivative to allow someone to have a fixed rate uh, interest payment as opposed to a floating rate interest payment and thereby reduce their exposure to interest rate risk. So those are all where you're actually helping a company do something that delivers a productive good or service. But if you're in the business of uh, packaging, uh, packaging a bunch of loans and then slicing and dicing them just to, uh, to skim off uh, financial profits but not create anything valuable in the process, then that's, that's getting away from the, from the real economy. And if we look back to the crisis in 2008, where things tended to go quite wrong is, is where banks had enormous amounts of exposures to financial assets, and you couldn't often find what were the underlying real economy assets and, and how were they being treated. And I think that's, that's how we see the financial economy and the real economy split. Is it meeting a real need in the real economy, helping people with jobs, helping people with uh, having homes, helping uh, people transact business, or is it merely financial engineering to create apparent revenues that can then be partially skimmed off by, by bankers in terms of fees or trading revenues? So, David, thanks very much for that roundup. We have about 30 seconds left. Um, so I've heard you talk about real economy and, you know, banking serving the real economy and it's the way to go. But in, in a few words, um, for, for any naysayers out there, it sounds great, but is there actual profit in it? I mean, can banks bank for the real economy and do the right thing and still actually, you know, live to fight another day and also provide a return for shareholders? Yeah, I would, I would sort of turn the question around. Uh, if you look at the the the, uh, the multi-year history of banking, uh, in in the many years before 1996, uh, mid 90s, when when we became much more focused on the fin financial economy, banks made solid profits year in and year out. They were not uh, private equity uh, returns, they but they were solid profits and they were stable. And so there's, I think, years of history, centuries of history that banks can be profitable if it stays focused on meeting the needs of people and serving the communities in which they operate. Um, we had the appearance of profits uh, in the big banks, particularly in the years running up to 2008, but most of those profits have evaporated. They've, they've been consumed by write-offs or they were already paid out in bonuses. So I think the question is really, is there any profit to be made in the financial economy banking or should we go back to the basics that have served both banks and society well for, for hundreds of years? Fantastic. So what a wonderful way to, to, um, to leave it. David, thanks very much for giving us a, an insight into what's going into the, in, in the news and what's behind the news relating to banking. Uh, David, you're a serious banker who believes banking should have a seriously social conscience, and I love it. We look forward to having you on the show next week. Thank you very much. We're going to take you to break now.
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. There are two types of leaders in business. Those who are nice, compassionate people. And frankly, they are the people who fail to get a lot done. Then there are those who can get everything done and so much more. But they are greedy, unethical, and self-centered. The Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks finds a way to use the best of both types of leaders to help you create a dynamic roadmap to success. Tune in every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You are tuned into Building Banking on Values. To reach Linda Ryan or her guests, please send an email to lynda.ryan at gabv.org. That's lynda.ryan at gabv.org. You may also join the social media conversation by using hashtag banking on values or tweet show host Linda Ryan at Catalyst Warrior. Now back to Building Banking on Values. Folks, welcome back to Building Banking on Values, the radio show that shines a light on the people, the passion and the potential behind a growing global movement called values-based banking. Our next guest on the show is Marcus Egigeren. I hope I pronounced Marcus's name correctly. We, we can ask him in a minute. Let me introduce you to him. Um, I like to call Marcus a sustainable business advocate. He's a bit of a banking change maker, and he's definitely be a believer in banking to save our planet. Dr. Egigeren is a native of Barcelona, and his professional career spans entrepreneurship, banking, education, and writing. He's held senior management positions in BBVA and Barclays Bank, and he's worked in consulting in Spain and internationally. He's also an entrepreneur and co-founder of a company called SingularNet, a professional services firm focused on helping organizations incorporate things like sustainability into their business operations. He's a professor of business administration at uh, Universitat Politecnica in Catalonia. I, I know I haven't pronounced that correctly. Sorry, Marcus. And ex-supervisory board member of Triodos Bank. So Triodos Bank is based in the Netherlands, but it has branches throughout Europe, and it's known as one of Europe's greenest banks. Marcus is known for his ability to lead the strategic delivery of profitable, sustainable, values-based business models. And I like that we have profitable in there because it's often a misnomer that you can't be both sustainable or ethically based and profitable. So that's enough from me. Marcus, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much. Good to hear you, Linda. 
Great to hear you too, and I'm sure our listeners will love your Spanish accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Spanish or Catalan, depending on how you look at it, but yeah. Okay. It's, it's your Catalan accent. So, Marcus, um, where are you currently? Tell me about the organization you're with and the role that you're involved in. Yeah, well, uh, I, I just represent the Global Alliance for Banking and Values. Uh, I mean, I just joined the Alliance not that uh, long ago. I just stepped in as uh, the first executive director of the Global Alliance in June last year. Uh, the Global Alliance for Banking on, on Values, as I really like to call it, is a movement. It's a movement of banking change makers. Uh, at this very moment, uh, the Global Alliance is formed by 28 banks. Um, uh, in, you know, from uh, different parts of the world, belonging to the five continents. Those banks are banks that are banking based on the principle of sustainable banking. And those banks, if I follow what I heard David Kurslund saying earlier, those banks are banks that are just banking on the real economy, that are banking triple bottom line, that are banking in a transparent way. So they are banks that really want to change the economy through banking. So that's sort of what we do, I mean, from a high-level perspective. So can you tell me a bit more about your members? Like, you know, can you name a few members for us? And, you know, are they all based in America or are they in the U.K.? Or where are they? Oh. No, uh, no, they are actually, uh, they're actually based in, everywhere. At this uh, very moment, as, uh, we have 28 members. But I'm very confident that in the coming months, we're going to be close to 40 members because uh, some banks have expressed their interest in joining our movement. So that's, this is a real, a real growing movement. But our banks belong to different parts of the world. You mentioned one of the members, Triodos Bank, that's based in the Netherlands, but whose operations uh, also uh, uh, go to other countries like Germany, Spain, the UK, or Belgium. Uh, but in, in, in Europe, we find other members like GLS Bank in Germany or Mercur Bank in, in, in Denmark or Banca Popolare Etica in Italia. We've got several members in North America, both in Canada and in the U.S., Van City in Vancouver, or Cinevoin also in Canada. In the U.S., we've got several members, Sunrise in Minnesota or Beneficial Estate in California, Southern Bank in the Mississippi Delta area. Also, some banks in Latin America, examples are Banco Ademi in the Dominican Republic or Banco Sol in Bolivia, Mission Banco in Paraguay, banks in Africa like Centenary Bank in Uganda, or banks in Asia like uh, Brac Bank in Bangladesh or Hash Bank in Mongolia, and also in Australia, Bank Australia. So we, we've got, we are quite a big family of bankers. I like that you say family. I'm wondering, um, you know, when you get together during, say, your annual meetings, because I know you had an annual meeting there recently, is it, is it a typical kind of banker's forum, or do you find that, <laughs> that these people are different? No, I, I, I really love this question, Linda, because, I mean, uh, you know, I, I've been in meetings of, uh, you know, a uh, very serious businessman and, you know, very serious bankers in many places of the world in, in different settings. Uh, and, the, uh, and the meetings of the Global Alliance, the meetings of the CEOs of the Global Alliance banks are 
of course, as rigorous as any other business people meeting in terms of the content, in terms of the approach in which the CEOs address the different challenges that we all face. But if you look at what we do from a different perspective, uh, with a more human approach, you realize, if you had been with us in Amsterdam uh, some weeks ago, you realize that those people are not just CEOs. They are close colleagues. They are friends. They understand that the way they are banking is just really making a change in the world. So they share their dilemmas. They share their solutions. Sometimes they even share resources in sort of a cooperative way. It's a very different thing, believe me. A very different sort of meeting. And, and when you get together, I mean, what what do you do as a group? Do you, you know? Do you set resolutions? Do you? I, I heard you say you share resources. And um, you know, do you have programs or initiatives that come out of of the meetings that you would have or the agreements that you would make? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we have several programs. Uh, uh, going on, um, just to give you some examples, uh, uh, we've got a, a human capital track, uh, which, you know, the HR directors of different banks uh, are uh, working together periodically, you know, both at video cameras, but also in in-person meetings every other time. And they, they really have a peer-to-peer exchange, a change of experience that they learn from each other the smaller banks also can have an advantage to get some, you know, uh, inspiration, but some material help sometimes in terms of, of consultants, resources, uh, you know, uh, whatever uh, for the bigger banks. We just set up uh, a leadership academy uh, powered by the MIT, but it was inspired by the GABV. And when you say we, MIT, do you mean Massachusetts Institute of the Technology? Massachusetts Institute of Technology, uh, yeah. And we are training uh, uh, in our first edition close to 20 senior but also young high-potential bankers in values-based banking, in the values-based banking approach. So what we do when we meet is we try to go into – I mean, I just gave you this example of the HL. So I could give you other examples. We have tracks in – the area of non-executive directors or in the marketing and communications, in risk, in metrics, in capital. So the many tracks, uh, what, we, what we do when we meet together is just we, we go into what happens in the different areas. We get insights from the experts in those areas. We discuss on how we can do things together and how we can bank days and values in a much better and efficient way but especially making sure that we are, we are provoking impact in the communities and impact in societies. Just, let me just give you an example on how different a meeting of the Global Ion CEO is. And this is an example of a meeting we have not so long ago. It was in September, and the Latin American CEOs met in Bolivia, in La Paz, hosted by Banco Sol, one of our members there. Of course, we had, we had their close to two-day meeting. We went into topics that were relevant for the Latin American banks, how to fight you know, against financial exclusions through banking, how to set a much greener agenda in the region, and other stuff. 
But we also devoted some time. Imagine a group of seven or eight CEOs, very serious CEOs of, you know, uh, mid or even large banks going to visit some clients. And uh, we paid a visit to a... to an artisan, he was designing designing customs for the, you know, national uh, national fist of Bolivia. Or we were visiting a lady that was uh, manufacturing papaya or oranges. So serious CEOs talking to the real clients, talking about the real needs, looking at what happens in the real streets. Of the of Bolivia of La Paz, so that's the kind of things we do. We do not, you know, discuss about how to, you know, uh, slice and dice our balance sheet. This is not something we do at all. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty different from a banking perspective. So we we've about two minutes before we go to breaks, and I'd like you to go back to one thing you spoke about. Um, uh, did you say human capital? I think was one of your communities of practice. Why would that be a community of practice? I mean, is is this about recruiting a different type of person to work in these banks? Is it a cultural thing? Well, I mean, I think that there are different dimensions uh, when you look at something as relevant for any company in the world, but especially for us as values-based banks, as HR, as human capital. So, uh, yeah, there are different dimensions. Of course, it's a matter of culture. Being a values-based bank is not just uh, financing the real economy, as David said. This is very important, but it's not enough. Uh, Being a values-based bank is not just about lending triple bottom line. This is very important, but it's not enough. Being a values-based bank is is about being transparent. It's about being client-centered. It's about being long-term resilient to disruption. And this means, this means that the culture of the bank has to be solid like a rock, values-based. The people, everyone, from the CEO to any officer in any branch, have to really feel the values, have to really feel that the way of banks, that, they, that the way of banking they're doing really makes sense. And in order to do so, you really need to make those HR experts sit together and discuss how do we recruit people? How do we train people? How do we do things differently that you know mainstream banks to make this solid culture be a reality? So it's sort of a multidimensional approach. Fantastic. So, so Marcus, let me pause you there because we're going to go for a break. But after the break, I'll have you back, and um, I just want to uh, go into one or two other things. Um, about the future of banking and how the Global Alliance for Banking on Values can serve that future. So let's go to break. Talk to you soon. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. 
Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into Building Banking on Values. To reach Linda Ryan or her guests, please send an email to lynda.ryan at gabv.org. That's lynda.ryan at gabv.org. You may also join the social media conversation by using hashtag banking on values or tweet show host Linda Ryan at Catalyst Warrior. Now back to Building Banking on Values. Folks, welcome back to Building Banking on Values, the show that takes you behind the scenes on the positive side of the banking industry. We've had David Kurzland, a strategic advisor, on the line, and we're now just finishing a conversation with Marcus Egegeren. Marcus is based in Barcelona, and he works with the Global Alliance for Banking on Values. Who knew there was an alliance, actually, surrounding the concept of banking on values? Marcus, um, you were talking about a number of things. You were talking about things like um, the Alliance and and what the Alliance is working on, the communities of practice that you've set up with your 28 members, your plans to grow to 40 banking members around the world, which which is amazing. And it's really, for me, a signal that this is definitely a growing movement. Um, I'd like to take you to your ambitions for this year. You know, could you talk to us about one or two things that you really want to do as an alliance that would are new or that would be different to previous years? I mean, if you're talking about this year, 2016. Yeah. Um, yeah well, I think in principle, uh, the work of the alliance is, is being, has been doing during this first month of the year is already signaling the ambition for the whole 2016. We held a great annual meeting two or three weeks ago in Amsterdam. Um, uh, There were incredible guests. Uh, We had the honor to have Her Majesty the Queen of the Netherlands also attending one of our our meetings, and uh, we were pleased to have her there. We had a message from the Ministry of Finance of the Netherlands and also the president of the Eurosystem, as you all know. And we had an incredible panel of external invitees, including the, the DNB, that's the 
Central Bank of the Netherlands and the Agakan Agency for Microfinance, uh, Mr. Fonsraud, a well-known architect, and Tamara, Tamara Froman, the CEO of the city. So we have already done lots of things uh, during our annual meeting. Uh, and during that annual meeting, we also discussed with our members the new ambitions for the GABB, uh, what we call the GABB 2020 approach, in which the GABB has declared that we are not just an alliance, we're not just a network, but we're a movement of bankers, of banking change makers, bankers that want to sit together and work together and, and work together to change the economy for the better. Uh, this ambition uh, places us in the in the need of growing our our, our brand globally. Uh, looking at 2020 and placing the Global Alliance for Banking and Values as a, a global brand, a brand that shows those banks who are banking based on our six principles, sustainable banking, who are basing putting people first and having profit as a consequence of doing the right things and doing things right. So profit has never, never has to be an anchor goal in itself. It has to be a reasonable and healthy consequence. That's our main ambition. That's why we are growing. That's why we are identifying all over the planet which banks are already banking under those principles or which banks are closer, close to our principles and can join and associate. This year, 2016, we will probably jump in number of members and we, uh, we have an objective of growing up to close to 40 members as a total. And also this year, we want to increase our visibility in, in the media, in the press, amongst uh, influencers. We are going to publish our first position paper that will tell the world which the position of values-based banking is uh, around climate change. So what can banks do to help solve climate change? So these two are our, our, our main two ambitions for 2016, growing Brilliant. significantly and also growing in visibility. Brilliant. Okay. So thanks very much, Marcus. It's been great having you on the show. I mean, it's inspiring to hear that, number one, there is an alliance of banks um, that are working towards uh, using a triple bottom line of, um, you know, using finance to create positive economic, social, and environmental impact. It's great to hear that the culture, even at a CEO level in those banks, is very different. And it's also reassuring to hear that, in a way, you're almost looking beyond yourselves as a member-based organization, but you really want to try and help build a movement, and an inclusive movement. So, Marcus, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to you. It's been a pleasure, Linda. Thanks, Marcus. So, folks, I'd like to introduce you to our third and final guest, John Fullerton. Um, I like to call him founder, impact investor, and finance change think tank collaborator. Think tank, that's pretty hard for an Irish person to say. We don't do our T's very well. Um, John is the founder and president of uh, Capital Institute. And the Capital Institute is a collaborative working to explore and affect the economic transition to a more just, regenerative, and sustainable way of living on this earth through the transformation of finance. 
So that sounds like a lot. So I'm going to be really interested to, to ask John to give us some more information on that. Um, through the work of Capital Institute, regular public speaking engagements and university lectures, John has become a recognized thought leader in the new economy space and the financial system transformation challenge in particular. John, welcome to the show. Well, it's very nice to be with you, Linda. Thanks very much, John. So, John, tell me a bit more about Capital Institute and, and how you do this collaborative work. Uh, well, as you said, it's a it's a think tank for lack of a better term, but it it's not a conventional think tank that puts out policy papers, you know, short term oriented policy papers. But we're we're really stepping back um, and and taking a holistic look at what's wrong with finance and. And that leads very directly to what's wrong with how economics works um, that have led to all of the all of the well understood problems from uh, you know rising inequality to social injustice to climate change and other eco- ecosystem uh, crises that are accelerating and even I believe uh, these issues are connected with the um, you know with the, the the blight of terrorism that's now. Um, uh, affecting us all because a lot of that is is actually rooted in in um, in, in climate related issues. So these these challenges are all interconnected. And um, and after I left my career on Wall Street, it became increasingly clear to me that that finance and the way finance, not even really the, the you know the bad behavior or the values lacking behavior of finance, but the actual uh, underlying uh, theory of finance and practice of finances, uh, where the pursuit of profit at the expense of pretty much anything that's legal um, is really very much a root cause of, of a lot of these systemic challenges we're facing. So we started in, in 2010, really after uh, after the financial crisis. It became uh, what, what seemed like a good idea became obvious that it was needed and. Um, and we we collaborate. You know, we're a small organization. We're we're you know less than ten people, but we work very closely with lots of other people from many other disciplines. In fact, we we probably work the least with other finance and economics people, and mostly with um, systems experts, ecologists, uh, physicists, people like that. And so, when when you work with these people, what is what's the the net result? What do you produce, and how does that? Change, change finance or change banking to be more ethically based. Well, the the big story is that I believe that the the transition the transition in banking is is a piece of a much bigger uh, transition that's really affecting every aspect of of our of our uh, society, from healthcare to urban planning to banking and to the non-banking aspects of finance, uh, certainly to economics. And, and really, it's a, uh, a shift from the, um, uh, the, the highly reductionist way of thinking that pretty much defined the last, you know, many hundreds of years of, of, of progress in, in the world to this new way of thinking, which understands that everything's connected to everything. You know, people use the language of integral thinking, holistic thinking, um, it's probably best understood to the way it's affecting the world of medicine, um, where you have holistic medicine, and and it's not to throw out the the Western more reductionist approach, but it's to understand that 
that um, uh, that there's a, there's lots of of wisdom t- that we've sort of forgotten that we need to recall and and this is transforming you know or th- this is an understanding that exists in science in physics in biology and ecology um, but our behavior and our theories in economics and finance have really not been upgraded uh, to this new understanding of how systems work in the world um, so we're very much part of a of a vanguard group of folks that are trying to rethink how economics and finance um, need to work. And, and the result of that, the, the most tangible result of that, that we've um, contributed so far is a, um, is a intellectual framework. I, I call it a theory or it's really more a hypothesis at this step, at this stage, but it's, um, it's on our website, uh, capitalinstitute.org. And it it, uh, it was a white paper published last year called Regenerative Capitalism, How Universal Principles and Patterns Will Shape the New Economy. And we're now working on a complementary or, a, a, you know, a um, complementary paper that will be called Regenerative Finance, which will drill down more deeply into um, uh, the implications for our financial system, which will include a major focus on the banking sector, obviously, and... and um, what I, I see the Global Alliance for Banking on Values as a community of practice that is leading this transformation in many ways without any clear theory upon which they're doing the work. They're doing it based on instinct and intuition and morals and values, and uh, and that's very much reflective of you know how an emergent um, uh, change is likely to happen in 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 any system. And what's interesting is we see a similar change happening in the in the in the corporate sector. You have the community of practice of the B Corps, um, and you have in the United States a community of practice called Business Alliance for Local Living Economies. And so these communities of practice are are popping up and emerging uh, very much organically on their own in response to the pressures and challenges that that we're facing. And I suppose what we're trying to do is to draw on the latest scientific understandings of how really all systems in, in, in the world work to create a conceptual framework and, a, and a, um, uh, an analytical framework so that we can uh, actually better accelerate this transition that's already happening on its own. And out of that should fall um, new ideas for policy recommendations, for example, how to think about regulating the banking system in a way that's that's uh, supportive of this transition to holistic or regenerative uh, regenerative banking. So in a way, really, you're putting a science behind the, the positive change in, in banking. And, and would it be fair to say, in a way, you're providing a bit of a roadmap um, on how to do that? We hope to. I mean, the, the, you know, the, to, to, to suggest we're providing a roadmap to a group that's well down the road is not, uh, is, it would be a bit arrogant, I think, but uh, perhaps filling in the pieces and the details and validating why certain things seem obvious and seem to work and why others don't. And let me give you a, a very tangible example on that. So one of the, there's actually eight principles that we've identified that are in the white paper I referred to, regenerative capitalism. And the first one is uh, what I call in-right relationship. And it turns out that in all living systems, um, the relationship between the different parts of the system are more important, actually, than the actual parts. Right. And, um, and so one of the principles of 
um, and, and just to make that tangible. So, you know, just think about your the human body. The, the human body has many parts, but they're just parts on the table if they're not working in relationship, in healthy relationship with each other. And that exists at all, you know, at all scales. So it's, it, it's true of your entire body, and it's equally true of your fingers and your hand. Um, and it happens to be true in the non-living world, too. So, so for example, uh, H2O is water, uh, two, two particles of hydrogen and one particle of oxygen creates water. Uh, what ma- you know, water is a, is a much more uh, important uh, whole than, e- than any of the three parts are. So that, that's a pattern that exists throughout living and non-living systems in the entire universe. And so if these relationships are so critical, it's not surprising that relationship-driven banking, which, by the way, when I used to work in the old J.P. Morgan, it used to be called Morgan Guarantee Trust Company back in the mid-'80s, that was a central tenet of, of our philosophy about business. But the banking business has moved to a much more transactional, trading-driven culture, and not surprisingly, that severing relationships um, that leads to the kind of problems we had in the in the 2008 crisis, but that same um, you know severing of relationships has also been the consequence of our move toward um, efficient capital markets, which we, in conventional wisdom, we assume is 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 a plus. But in order to have efficient capital markets, it means we have vast amounts of trading of stocks of securities as opposed to deeply embedded relationships between owners and enterprises. And that makes the challenge of sustainability for businesses extremely difficult because there really is no longer a genuine relationship between the shareholders of a big public company uh, and the and the company itself. You have transient stockholders who are trading securities as opposed to real owners with the responsibility that goes with ownership. So our belief is that by identifying these patterns and principles that exist in all sustainable systems in the world outside of economics and finance, we'll gain real insights into how we need to think differently about managing our, our business and economies and, and the financial system itself. So, John, we've, we've spoken about regenerative capitalism and, in a way, the Capital Institute putting the science behind the positive change in banking. Um, and we've also spoken about the importance of relationships and how, in a way, how the banking industry historically seems to have moved away from relationships. But it sounds like part of the solution in, in building banking on values is to move back towards relationships. So we're coming close to, to the end of this session. I'd love to know, I mean, if, if there was one change Capital Institute or one initiative Capital Institute could do this year to, to help take us along the path to changing banking to be a more positive thing, what would it be? Well, I hope it'll be this paper I'm working my, my I'm spending an enormous amount of time um, working on a paper that will articulate our vision for that, um, and it will both confront head-on the many um, uh, anti-social and, and, and degenerative aspects of the current uh, financial system. Uh, right at the top of that list would be excessive debt and excessive speculation. Um, and I'll try to justify why those are uh, not just um, uh, things that people intuitively would prefer we had less of, but that they're actually systemically 
um, uh, unhealthy and destructive uh, when looked at as, uh, you know in a in a living systems context. And I hope it'll make a contribution to changing the debate, the the kind of free market versus regulation debate that we have today, which is absent any. It's essentially an ideological debate absent any hard scientific framework, and it, um, I hope, will benefit from some, some, rigor, some scientific rigor to, um, uh, to bring to bear what we actually understand from, uh, from systems that actually are sustainable uh, in other parts of our, of our awareness. Fantastic. So, John, thanks. I mean, it, it sounds like, in a way, you're bringing science to the moral side of, of the future of banking, which is fantastic. John, it's been wonderful, wonderful having you on the show. If people want to find out more, where do they go? Capitalinstitute.org. Capital uh, we Institute. also have a, a storytelling project, which is our field guide to investing in a regenerative economy. And we've actually written some 35 stories, including a year-long um, year in the Life project with one of the banks in the Global Alliance for Banking on Values, as well as some other banking uh, and non-banking financial organizations that um, that we see as evidence that, that this regenerative paradigm is already happening. It's just that we don't have the we don't see it because we don't have the language and understand and conceptual understanding to see it when it's there. Fantastic. So it's all on John, our website though, capitalinstitute.org. Brilliant. Thanks very much, John. So, folks, we'll, we'll um, wrap up the show for today. It's been our first show on the concept of building banking on values and what we're seeing as a glowing, uh, sorry, glowing, well, hopefully it will be a glowing, but a growing global movement to change banking for the better. If you want to find out any more information, you can get some information on the GABV website, which is gabv.org. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Catalyst Warrior because I believe, I like to believe um, that I'm a catalyst for positive change. And the people I've had on the show today are definitely catalysts for positive change in the banking industry. My last words are that, you know what, we're all bankers. Um, and it's important for us to realize that we have a choice in where we put our money. And um, banking change is actually in your hands too. The power is in your pocket. That's all for now, folks. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Building Banking on Values. Please join your host, Linda Ryan, again next Thursday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.